Hello and welcome to Lockdown Women's Basketball. I am your host, Howard Megdahl. Uh, happy to be with you. A reminder that there are various ways to follow us on Twitter at LockdownWBB. You can follow us on Facebook, Locked On Women's Basketball, and would urge you to subscribe uh, using iTunes or your favorite podcast listening device of choice. Uh, I am ridiculously excited to be joined today by Rebecca Lobo, who I, I, I'm not going to bother introducing Rebecca Lobo. I'm just going to say, hi, Rebecca. How are you? Thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Place I'd love to start, and this is just something that I'm a minor obsession of mine. When I go cover a game on the UConn campus, you know, over at Gamble or talk to talk to players at practice, the overwhelming number of player posters, of championship banners, it's overwhelmed the entire wall, and, and to the point where there's sort of a problem with space that you're running into because of all the success. As someone who was, you know, present at the very beginning, at the very start of those banners, I'm wondering how surreal is it for you to look around and see what's happened over the past couple of decades there, just from a visual perspective? <laughs> yeah, from the visual perspective, exactly. Because when, you know, when I was uh, in Gamble, it hadn't been open that long. I think they had, you know, one Final Four banner up. And you're right. Now you go and you look around, you're like, all right, they're going to have to start taking down some of these Big East Championship banners to make room for the other ones. Um, I mean, it's amazing. When we were there, we sure never expected that he would turn the program into the dynasty that it's become. You know, we were just, you know, college students trying to make our way uh, in class and on the court. And um, it's pretty cool now to see that it's turned into something bigger than just that. And uh, it's amazing. It really, really is amazing what he has done. I, I mean, do you, is that your solution? You take down Big East banners? I mean, do you need to have uh, a new building that is built exclusively for the banners? I, I, what is the end game there? Maybe it's just you only have the national championship banners up. Of course, I played in the Big East days, so I would say, yeah, just take down the American banners, the American <laughs> conference banners. Those can go. Um, I, but it's, it's, it's ridiculous when you go in there and look around and see how crammed the, the rafter space has become. Um, you know, they'll be the first uh, program to start putting – year just have one banner that says national champion and list the year right. <laughs> like some people do with their conference championships or what they do in high school it's uh it's ridiculous it's vital i i don't think anyone should argue about keeping the big east and losing the aac uh, championship <laughs> titles i think that'll be pretty universal i think that's a good solution <laughs> <laughs> well so there there is a potential aac champion over there this year of course and one significant reason why and despite all the losses uh this this past off season is freshman point guard crystal dangerfield i was hoping uh to get your take uh, gino said something that i thought was really interesting that caught my ear a couple weeks ago uh where he said that crystal we don't know how she's going to turn out but she's ahead of where mariah jefferson was as a freshman uh, especially on the offensive end what do you think though where she is as a freshman says about her projectability going over the you know next four years. Well, you know, you can never take into an account um, or project a possible injury. You know, uh, uh, an injury is going to would change the picture completely for any player. Um, 
But when I've watched her, I've been blown away at her passing ability. I can't tell you. I, I was, uh, wasn't watching the Dayton game live, but I was watching it back on tape. And there was a stretch in the third quarter, I think it was three or four possessions in a row, where she made amazing passes. And, and I've played with enough guards who, you know, the, sometimes a guard has great vision, so they see you but they just simply don't know how to get it there. Or sometimes you have guards who, who know how to make the different passes, but they don't have the vision and the confidence in that split second to deliver the basketball. And Crystal has that. And, and I, was, I went back and I was looking at the rosters uh, um, of former UConn teams. I'm like, has there been a player who can pass this way since Sue Bird? And there simply hasn't. Uh, you know, as good as Mariah, Mariah is and was, it's, she wasn't, um, I don't think she was as good of a passer um, in certain situations in delivering the basketball, even as a senior that Crystal is right now. And it's just an innate ability. It doesn't mean Crystal's a better player by any stretch. I just think she's the most gifted passer that they've had there in the last 15 years And you know, at that position. And it seems like there's a knock-on effect for this particular team, right? Because if you have such an elite passer and, and, and a playmaker who's able to control the game like that, that lets everyone else fill their roles. I, you know, whether whether it's Nafisa Collier to be able to play that inside-outside game, whether it's Tia being able to focus on playing more off the ball, it seems like that addresses a lot of what it seems like people had questions about for this roster coming into the year. I think so. And, you know, UConn is always going to be a good passing team because Coach Oriama values passing. So not only does he recruit, recruit players at every position who can pass, but he makes it a priority every day in practice. They're working on passing. Whatever the drill is, he values the basketball and values unselfish players who have the ability to deliver it. Um, so, you know, even when Crystal's still on the bench, before she comes in, um, UConn is going to make the extra pass and they're going to reward players for running the floor. I just think if you're out there with her, if you're a post player and and you feel like you're open, you're going to continue to post up for another a- extra couple of seconds because if it's her, you know, eventually um, she's going to get it there if she can. Or you're going to run a little bit harder because even if there's three players uh, defensively that are getting back with you, if you're open at all, she will see it and she'll deliver. Um, so I think coming off the bench, she just adds that little extra something. And then in the Baylor game and even in the Texas game, she also added the three-point shot. Um, and she's going to make mistakes, whether it's defensive lapses or different things. But um, but the innate ability that she has to pass is a real gift. And um, it's going to be fun to watch that develop over the next couple of years. And is that what you see as sort of the, the next step for her forward? Because like you said, she took over offensively, arguably, in the Baylor game in a way that was necessary, especially in the second and third periods. Do you think that it's making that balance clearer in her head when to pass, when to take over offensively and shoot? I think actually she's got a pretty good idea of it right now. I I love that she doesn't um, shy away from the moment. In Bale, in the Baylor game, I mean, that was big moments, and yeah. and she just stepped up and had no hesitation. But I I've, I've not seen it. I've not seen her take a shot where I've thought, oh, you had your big player wide open underneath that. You know, even if it went in, that wasn't the right shot. I haven't seen that. Um, I just think she has. I, I already think she has a good sense. Um, she's a freshman. She's going to make mistakes. She's going to have different. You know, she, like I said, lapses defensively. You heard Carol Lawson talking about that during the game um, in the Texas game. But in terms of the things that you. Can't can't teach 
um, the the passing part of it, some the vision you can't teach vision, you can't teach the delivery the way that she has it. That's that's something she's come in with, and it's going to be fun to watch him hone that skill in her. Oh, no question about it. And and just the idea that this is where she is at the start of her tenure with Gino. Uh, it makes yeah. you. Uh, it, it's easy to dream on her when you think about yeah. what, what kind of player she can be. Well, you know, she's going up against uh, a pretty decent point guard in her own right in Lindsay Allen in what is game of the week, perhaps game of the season coming up this week, Notre Dame and Connecticut. The hype obviously was going to be significant already. Do you think it is going to be a useful thing on either side or both sides that you saw a flip in the polls this week and UConn take the slight edge over Notre Dame uh, ahead of the matchup? Um, I don't know. You know, coaches always look for a little something. So um, I don't know if, if Muffet McGraw will, will use that or not. I don't think either coach needs to. I think all the players um, understand the significance of this game. Not only one, two, but it's the biggest rivalry right now in women's college basketball. It has been the, for the past however many years. On Notre Dame's side, they have to feel like this is our turn. You know, with the last couple of years when UConn had that, that group of players, um, you know, Notre Dame couldn't 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 quite get there because because of those players um so they've got to feel like all right this is this is finally our turn um but uh yeah it's interesting i have to say i'm one of the voters who flipped um i had been voting for notre dame and i i I, notre dame is a really good team but when i was looking at the two uh the two resumes next to each other you know all the ranked teams that uconn has played Notre Dame only having played Washington in terms of ranked opponents, I couldn't not vote for UConn this past week. Um, and what was the not just the win over DePaul, but the way in which UConn won over DePaul a factor in your thinking about it? Um, the way they played. Yeah. The way they played. You know, I, I watched, again, I, I don't get to watch a lot of this stuff live, but I watch it all. And um, and I was watching their DePaul game, especially that first quarter and then the third quarter, and thinking, holy cow, this is a really good team. And then watching Notre Dame against um, Iowa. Yeah, Notre Dame's a really good team, but um, in my in my mind, I, I just felt like UConn um, – at least this week <laughs> would, would get my would get my number one vote. Well, do do they when when you see UConn come out and I think it was thirty seven to six uh, at the start of that game against DePaul? Is that just a, a lot of the UConn players understanding what and how it takes to come in and dominate a game from moment one based on what they saw last year? I think it was that with a little reminder from Coach Oriama. You know, I think it was the previous game where he got all over them after the Chattanooga game saying that they need to get their butts kicked. And um, and what this team has showed me, this UConn team has showed me so far this year, is they are clearly a tough bunch of women, and they respond to challenges. I think you saw that with Florida State. You saw that with Baylor. They haven't shied away from anything. I think they've they've certainly surprised me with how well they've been able to play this early um, against the uh, the opponents that they have played. Um, so I think they're just kind of a, a mentally tough group that responds to challenges. And I think Coach Oriema's challenge, um, whatever it was to the media, uh, I'm sure it was even greater to them in practice. And they clearly responded the way he wanted them to. No question about it. And, and, and if, if I'm Don Staley in South Carolina, I'm even more frustrated that instead of getting the chance to play him early, I'm going to be playing him, I, I think it's February in that Yeah. Is. You can only imagine where they'll be by that point. But, you you know, speaking of Dawn's group, it was perhaps the most impressive game of the season for me 
prior uh, to the UConn win over DePaul was the way they dominated against Louisville. And there yeah. were a lot of people talking about South Carolina maybe going undefeated, but obviously that is not going to happen now that uh, we saw them lose to Duke this week. And I'm curious what you make of uh, Duke's breakthrough, both in terms of the game itself and also uh, what it says about the program. It's gone through some difficult challenges of late. Sure. Well, I'll rewind a little bit. You know, the the Louisville-South Carolina game was played in Springfield, which is not that far from where I live. So I went to watch the game. wasn't working yet. My older two daughters wanted to go, so we went and watched. And it was my first time seeing Kayla Davis in person, and I was just like, wow, what a specimen. You know, the, the, the size that she has, the strength, and then uh, watching the big players for South Carolina. And I was kind of with you, like, this is the this is probably the best team I've watched play this year. And uh, and then they look good again against Texas. Um, and then watching that Duke game, um, I, I guess one of the things is it it's hard to be consistently at the top of your game and consistently great. And um, and not to go back to UConn, but it makes you really appreciate what they've been able to do the last four years because they didn't have any of those um, types of games that exposed them the way the way Duke did to South Carolina. That being said, Duke looked really really good. Duke looked really, really good. They were on point on the defensive end. Rebecca Greenwell was um, was phenomenal. I was thinking as I was watching, man, if South Carolina had a player like Rebecca Greenwell who is willing to step up in these moments and hit threes consistently and then drive the lane when she needs to. Um, and Duke also was a little bit lucky. You know, there was a Kyra Lambert shot at the end of the shot clock that 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 banked in, and then there was a, a, a near the end of the game a rebound that an offensive rebound that just like hit off somebody's hands. Might have even gone off a South Carolina player's hands, um, and went through the hoop. And then for them to get to the free throw line in a big moment with just over a minute to go, South Carolina's cut it to six. But South Carolina has six players on the floor, so Duke gets the two free throws. I mean, so Duke looked really good. South Carolina struggled, and then Duke got lucky in a couple situations. And those are the things you need to have to pull off that kind of an upset. Um, but I was impressed with Duke. You know, you mentioned the the things that they've gone through, the transfers, the, the players that have left that place. Um, they're a fun team. And, and if you're a Duke fan down there, um, I imagine you're really enjoying watching that group of women play. You would think so. I mean, they, to have them stand up and take notice like that after the South Carolina victory, I think, is, is, is a matter of time now. And Lexi Brown being able to make plays, I think, is a real difference uh, maker for them just offensively compared to last year. Uh, but you spoke about South Carolina. I thought that was such an interesting point, the idea that, in essence, they have a lot more depth this year than they did last year but there's not that Tiffany Mitchell there's not that single person who's going to take the big shot in the big moment yet do you see someone as likeliest to assume that role is it Kayla Davis you know someone who we see who can go off for 37 points is you know is it one of one of the bigs how do you see that playing out it has to be a guard. It has to be a guard. And um, as a big player, that's one of the things that is kind of frustrating. But bigs can't take over in, in those moments because they can't pass to themselves. Um, and, and, they, you know, and, and bigs can get doubled easier than guards can get doubled. So when you really need a basket or you need a player to create or you need a way to score when the defense has kind of figured out your game plan, it has to come from a guard. And I think Kayla Davis is the one who has the ability to do it. She hit a couple big shots near the end of that game, um, but she also took some uh, that I thought were maybe early in the shot clock, hoisting up a deep three. Um, 
but they struggled from the three-point line as a team. South Carolina did. Um, and that was kind of the problem with that they would have last year. You know, if, if your inside game is taken away, Elena Coates um, didn't have a lot of field goals attempts against Duke, and she, but she had some that she missed. Asia Wilson was very good again. You have to have a guard that can break you down and score consistently and has um, really the mental toughness to, to, to make those decisions and sometimes to will her team to, um, to victory. And I think Kayla Davis is the one who has the ability. It's just a matter of, um, you know, how many times has she been in, in those situations on a team ranked as high as South Carolina? She She's um, she's going to have to grow in that role and um and it'll be interesting again to see to see if she if if she's the kind of player who can assume that responsibility. No question about it. It's going to be a fascinating thing to see uh, the development over the next couple of months. And it, there's another player who uh, I think of in in similar ways, uh, and and that's Diamond DeShields uh, down in Tennessee. Obviously, the Volunteers. The season hasn't started the way they were looking for it to start. Starting four and three. Big test coming up against Texas as well. I'm just curious what you've seen from Tennessee so far and how they get right. Yeah, that's the question, isn't it? Um, you know, Andy Landers made this point um, in studio when we were together this past weekend. He said, you know, um, Tennessee has a short roster. I think they have nine healthy players, um, only eight really in, in the rotation. And he said, but they're all talented players. You know, Mercedes Russell, the number one recruit um, her senior year. Diamond DeShields, the number one recruit her senior year. But sometimes it's it's sometimes and a lot of times more than that. How are these players um, meshing together? And when I watch Diamond DeShields, she has a wealth of ability. And it just seems like she hasn't quite figured out how to um, – be great and make her teammates great and get be at a level where um, where her team is winning consistently. And um, I mean, you just watch her and sometimes, you know, she turns just turn more turnovers again this season than she does assists. Um, there are some games that before their game against Baylor, I was looking at the stats and when she shoots the three ball well, and when she doesn't turn it over, Tennessee wins. But when she doesn't shoot the three, well, um, I think coming into that game in their losses, she, she was over from three. And when Tennessee turns it over, um, they lose. And so it's got to be a frustrating situation for Holly Warlick to look around and say, all right, I've got all these talented players how do I, how do I, you know, magically get that chemistry piece to work and, 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 and get um, Diamond to, 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 you know, go from being this ridiculous talent to instead just being a ridiculous player. And, um, but I think that's what it's going to take. And I, I, again, because she's a guard, um, I think, you know, Diamond to Shields is going to be the key to that group and how far they can go. So, what you said is so interesting because it dovetails with the way she was talking prior to the season. I'm, I sat down with her uh, preseason and wanted to get a sense from her what she wanted to focus on most and what she wanted to be as a player. And what's striking about it, and, and it, it's no surprise, she can do so many things on the court that she basically named everything across the board. And the downside to that, as you pointed out, is it's hard to know, A, if, if you're Holly, what kind of uh, role you want to put her in, and B, if you're Diamond to Shields, what you are focused on and that plus-plus area you want to get better at right away. And that matters not only in terms of Tennessee, but also 
what she can be at the next level. So there's a long way around of asking, what should Diamond De Shields be? What kind of player, what kind of comp do you see her turning into to maximize what she's capable of being? Well, most games when she steps on the floor, she'll be the best athlete on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and as talented as she is, it's sometimes it's like, just don't try to do too much. You know, some of her turnovers come from, um, you know, just trying to do too much, trying to make a pass that might not quite be there, trying to make a move that might not quite be there. I mean, if she came down the floor every time and, and, and took a mid-range pull-up jumper, uh, she, you know, that that's her bread and butter, and, and, and she can do that. So, you know, it's it's got to be a focus of, all right, I've got to I've got to be a better decision maker. I've got to be a better ball handler. I've got to, to take care of the ball when it's in my hands, make the right pass, look inside to Mercedes, but not force it to Mercedes. Um, but, I mean, the kid is so, so talented. Um, you know, but she is surrounded by other players who can do things. And, and I can just go back to college and, and the best, one of some of the best advice I got was from Chris Daly. She's like, just keep it simple. You get in the post, just do a drop step. Don't do a step through three times, just keep it simple. And I think that sometimes that's the hardest thing to do. But I think for diamond, if she just keeps it simple, passes when they're wide open, um, takes the mid range jumper when it's there uh, you know, it, the game would it would help it slow down again for her. Yeah, I mean, she she cited Candace Parker uh, as an inspiration, and certainly Candace's season in the WNBA this year was a lot of simplifying and uh, relying on her teammates more. So, it, you know, maybe she'll get there as well. I I just wonder, big picture for Tennessee, you know, to have a legacy like virtually no other college program, with the exception of UConn. Do you think that expectations are too high for what Tennessee ought to be year in and year out? You know, there's there's a lot of consternation, a lot of frustration, even after last year. But last year, you know, despite the struggles during the regular season, included uh, an Elite Eight appearance. Uh, do you think Tennessee is something more than a team that should be a perennial power in the SEC based on history? Or do you think people expect too much because of the legacy of Pat Summit, I don't think you expect too much. I think I think in the women's game you have to have those programs that um, that you expect more of because of of their legacy. And Tennessee is 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 one of them. And and um, you know I, I I'm not ready to give up hope on this year's Tennessee team. They've got the number one recruiting class coming in next year um, as well. So uh, you know. I think you need to have that in our game. There aren't enough programs that have that legacy. You've got UConn, you've got Tennessee, um, Notre Dame's, you know, getting there. Stanford get has been there. So I think you have to have those expectations of those programs. Um, their fans have it. The coaches have it. The players have it. Um, I, I, I think that's fair. Yeah, that seems reasonable. I, and And obviously it's contrary to the idea that Tennessee and all other programs should get participation trophies, which is something I know <laughs> you you had some response to, uh, you know, after Jeff Walls talked about it. I, I want to ask you this, you know, we're, we're contemporaries. And so I, I think you remember as, as well as I do, participation trophies are not new. I remember getting them in Little League. I remember them as something that extend back at least, uh, you know, to when we were growing up. I mean, do you think that that's sort of shorthand for 
talking about something different? Because it doesn't seem to me like it's innate to this particular generation. I, I don't ever remember getting a participation trophy. Yeah, well, you wouldn't uh, have gotten but, participation but, trophies. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm saying even like in Little League, we didn't get participation. <laughs> not only did we not get participation trophies, we didn't get brand new T-shirts and pants and with our name on the back. We got like the same the, the, the softball jersey that was worn the year before that had the local grocery store's name on the mm-hmm. front of it, right? Yes. Um, and, and the used pair of pants. When, when my kids started playing softball and, and we got the list of the equipment they needed, you know, a glove, bat, helmet. I'm like, what? The coach used to bring the bag of helmets so to ensure that every kid got lice. Yeah. You had like five <laughs> bats that you all shared. The only thing you needed was a glove and shoes. Um, but, uh, you know, I think... The, the 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 big thing my kids now they do they get they get participation trophies for everything that they do they get you know the little medal that goes around the neck and um but the thing is kids are smart my kids uh one of my daughters at, was at a basketball camp where she actually earned a trophy um i think it might have been like the one-on-one champion or the free throw shooting champion i don't remember what it was mm-hmm. and that trophy while it looks like all of her other participation trophies that one means something to her the other ones don't so while everyone gets their little participation thing kids are smart they know what they've earned and they know what they haven't earned um that being said the other thing that jeff wallace talked about and i think this is true and i've actually heard coach oriama talk about it when it comes to aau basketball is that kids don't really aren't really learning how to win when i played aau basketball you would go we would drive or, or, or go around town to raise money so we could fly to the national tournament. West Virginia, Louisiana, Tennessee. And if you lost two games, you were done and went home. So it was really, really important to win. And they talk about now with AAU, you know, you lose, you go to the friendship side, you've got a couple more games that day, you're still guaranteed yourself so many games to play. And so there isn't like the, the, the weight of winning it's not as important to win and um and so sometimes it can be hard to find those kids who will do anything and everything it takes to lay it on the line to win understanding that if they don't they don't get to play anymore but i i, I mean don't you think those kids are going to be competitive whether there are participation trophies or not I, I i'm just trying to you know picture a world in which uh say maya moore would not be competitive because there were participation trophies involved. You know, I, I just feel like those people who have that extra competitive edge are going to find a reason to do it no matter what, rather than it being, let's say, the trophies that lead to that happening. Yeah, no, I, I you know, I understand that. I, I, I wish my kids wouldn't get participation trophies, frankly, because then they just end up in recycling they right. might, because they don't care about them. At least like the the participation certificate you can throw in a box that they might eventually someday put in a uh, scrapbook. I think the bigger side of it is the um, the winning and losing piece when you like when they ta- when Coach Walls referenced AAU. I think I think sometimes um, even those ultra competitive kids, what they want to do. They, mostly they want to win, but they also want to keep playing. So if the punishment was not that, okay, you are now playing in the other side of the bracket, if the, if the repercussion was you're done and you have to go home, mm-hmm. I think there would be that, that bit that would be more important, the higher importance would be placed on, I've got to find a way to win this game because if I don't, I'm off the court. And, um, and that's the other thing, you know, there's not the pickup where you have to win to stay on right. and, and everybody wants to play the whole game. 
and they want to play the next game. And I think that's a, a bigger motivator, even for those ultra competitive players to, to really lay it on the line. No, it's so true. And, and, and Gino talks about that, trying to find those players and how it's getting harder because there's a larger sense of entitlement, whether it's trophies or not. The one thing I do wish we could see is someone try and present a participation trophy to Diana Taurasi. I think I would, I would just, I think they should make a show of that and they should put it on NBA TV. I think I would, I would watch that. I think everyone would. So it's it just... even better to have the referee presented to and see how, what would happen. Oh, I love it. That sounds perfect. Well, the place I'd like to end today is the most important moment, I think, uh, on Twitter over the last week. You spoke about uh, a question uh, that your daughter had for you. Uh, Could you take us through (laughs) how that went forward and and what your response was? Because I think it's informative. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So I was putting my six-year-old, my youngest daughter is six, and I was putting her to bed. And so we read. And um, she was reading a book. And it um, it was about parents and their children and, and mothers and their children. And it was, you know, all these different animals. Um, so, of course, you get to the, the one of the giraffe. And so she reads the page. And then she just looks at me and said, Mom, who's taller? You are a giraffe. And uh <laughs> And I didn't, uh, I didn't quite know. I was like, well, you know, a baby giraffe, perhaps I would have on height. But uh, yes, these are the kind of things that um, that are the most burning questions for my children. My six-year-old, who's taller, me or a giraffe? So um, this, the verdict's still out. I don't think I've given her an answer. She looked at me after she said it, turned the page, and I think we moved on to the elephant. <laughs> <laughs> well, you will have to keep us posted about this. I, I also do need to put you on the spot to play the game that we are making a regular feature here at Locked On Women's Basketball, which is Kelsey's Choice. If you are picking for a team this year, and if you are picking for uh, a WNBA career, whether you're going with Kelsey Plum, University of Washington, or Kelsey Mitchell of Ohio State University. Oh, good heavens. So it can be different if I'm picking for this year or picking for a career? Yes. Or is it one answer? No, no, absolutely. It can be one and then the other. Oh, good heavens. Um, that's a tough one. I think uh, I think you're going to be uh, doing pretty well with either of them. But I think I think I'll go Kelsey Mitchell. Um, I, th- I think potentially maybe she she has the potential to be uh, more of an elite defender than Kelsey Plum. But um, but offensively, you, you really can't go wrong with either one. No, no question about it. Yeah, there's no wrong answer in Kelsey's choice. It's not like Sophie's what, choice. What's your choice Sophie. there? Yeah, what's I, your I, choice I, on that one? I, I have not come to a conclusion yet. I, I need to see both of them more to be able to come to a final answer. Uh, I, I know that is a bit of a cop-out uh, myself. I probably should make a decision, but... Uh, but as but I'll, yeah. you know what though I will yeah. I can I'm gonna add this quickly. Yes. Um, Kelsey Plum, from what I understand, when she's just out and about with her teammates out in public, if she like makes a mistake that she feels she shouldn't have made, she drops down and does push-ups. So for the comic <laughs> relief of that with her WNBA teammates, perhaps um, she should you know go a little bit higher in the Kelsey's choice. That's got to be worth a lot. That's got to you know that 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 is an intangible. <laughs> There's no question about it. Well. Listen, Rebecca Lovo, such a pleasure to have you on the program. I, I, great a chance to talk to you, and thank you so much for your time today. 
Oh, it's been absolutely my pleasure. And, um, you know, make sure you share with me the next time your six-year-old asks you a, uh, a crazy but fun question. I will for sure. And thank you to all of you for listening. A reminder that you can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnWBB. You can follow us on Facebook. Just go ahead and like us, Locked On Women's Basketball. And make sure you subscribe. We have a tremendous number of shows coming up. And I hope you enjoyed every moment of it as much as I did. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.